Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Malachi, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Already we learn from whom, to whom, and through whom. From whom the Lord, to whom Israel, through whom, whose saints, Malachi. Very good. Now notice in your Bibles it says the burden of the Lord. We've talked about this in the past. I certainly won't belabor it tonight. But the burden of the Lord, we talked about a burden is something that is heavy. Something that is heavy. And so the burden that is heavy is weighty. It's weighty. And God speaks through the prophet because the people's sin is weighty on God. And so he gives his prophecy to Malachi. It's a burden. It's something weighty. And in the Bible, by the way, it is interesting. Whenever God sends a prophet to speak to the people, listen, it's because the people are not listening. Whenever God sends a prophet to the people, it's because the people are not listening to God. So God gives Malachi a word which is heavy and weighty on his heart. Notice in your Bibles, God opens up the prophecy by saying, I have loved you. And Israel starts to whine to God. In what way have you loved us? You notice that God says, I've loved you. Israel says, really? In what way have you loved us? They said, well, if God loves us, then why have we been oppressed? Because remember, they had come through a very difficult time of 70 years of Babylonian captivity. So they say, you know, well, if God loves us, then then why have we been oppressed? If God loves us, then why have we gone through tough times in the captivity? God doesn't love us, they say. Look how lousy things are for us. If God loved us, then why am I sick? I mean, people even still today say, you know, well, if God loves me, then then why, why is everything bad in my life? People seem to think that when bad things happen, that God doesn't love them. Can I, can, can, I, can I share something with you? Or when you are being punished or when you are being chastised, for some reason, we tend to think that God doesn't love us. Let me share something with you that, that most people don't understand, and that is the discipline of God. Most people do not understand the discipline of God, just like most children don't understand the discipline of their parents. I mean, they don't. I mean, most children don't understand when parents say, well, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Kids are thinking, then why don't you just beat yourself? <laughs> I mean, we've all thunk it before. 
But people don't understand that, listen, God brings punishment because, listen to this, God brings punishment because he loves us. Amen, Amen. Amen, saints? You understand. If you're a parent, you certainly understand this. God brings punishment not to hurt us, but because he loves us. Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 5 through 11, I want to read it to you and I want you to see it because this is a huge verse and you should jot it down and seek to remember it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 11 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he what saints? Chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days, human fathers, chasten us as seemed best to them. But he, God, for our what? For our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God chastens those that he loves. Parents chasten those children Because they love them. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 tells us, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Now, the world would totally disagree with that. I know the world is saying to the church, even to Christians, are starting to buy into this. Well, you know, I'm not going to spank my child because if I spank my child, I'm going to hurt their psyche. This is the world's wisdom. Don't spank Johnny, because if you spank Johnny, then he's going to grow up thinking that it's okay to be violent. Look, let me tell you something. I come from the old school, y'all. Let's just talk straight. I come from the old school, okay? Where, when, I, when I came up, look, you, you, could get, you, you could get smacked by your neighbor. Y'all remember them? They say, man, if you remember. I'm telling you, I remember the time when if you did something... Your neighbor would spank you. And then your neighbor would go to your mama and tell your mama what you did. And you guessed it, she would spank you. (laughs) Then your mama would tell your father. And when he got home, guess what? You guessed it, he would spank you. And by the time they were done, you had no psyche. (laughs) If you understand, say amen. What is up with the world today? The Bible says, listen, if you love your child, you will not spare the rod. You won't spare the rod. If you love them, according to the scriptures, if you don't spank your child, you don't love them. If God does not chasten you, he doesn't love you. The Bible is very clear about that. So the chastening of the Lord speaks of the fact that God loves us. And I realize it's hard for us as natural human people and children to understand that. But the Bible is very, very clear about that. We discipline our children because we love them. 
And we know that if we never discipline them, they will grow up selfish, self-centered, out of control, and probably in jail. I've often told my children, I discipline you because I love you. I discipline you because if I don't and you go out in the world and do what you're doing here or you don't obey the law, you don't learn respect, you don't learn authority, a couple things going to happen. Number one, if you don't learn respect as a child in the home, you are not going to learn to respect God the Father if you can't respect your earthly father. That's why it's important to teach that. Kids, listen up. That's why your mom and your dad is trying to teach you. Because they're trying to teach you that you need to respect your earthly father, and it also is a reflection, and it will teach you how to respect your heavenly father. Also, as an earthly father, chastening our children, we are preparing them to go out into the world. We're preparing them to respect authority. That's why a lot of times when, you know, I've told my kids, listen, when the police tell you to stop, you need to stop. If they happen to pull you over for something that you have done or not, when they tell you to stop and obey, you do it. But they don't learn that if they don't learn that in the home. So you got to train your children in the home to prepare them to go out into the world. This is why God chastens us, because he loves us. I will chasten my kids out of love. The police and the world will chasten them out of hate and indifference. They won't care. I've told that to my kids. I'm tough on you because I care. Because when you go out there, guess what? They're not going to care. They'll, they'll shoot you, where, at least where I come from. You can get shot in the back. That's just the, rea- that's the world, y'all. I mean, I understand. We live in Apex, and that stuff doesn't happen here. But go 11 miles up the road to Raleigh, and it happens there. So we chasten our children because we love them. So when God disciplines us, it's because he loves us. And if God didn't love us, he wouldn't discipline us. You understand that? Say amen. Amen. Very important. And so they ask, in what way has God loved them? And then God says, if you want to know, now you got to get this. God says, if you want to know how much I love you, look back at Jacob and Esau. Look back at Jacob and Esau. Now, we all know the story. Of course you do. Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac married a woman. What was her name? Rebecca. You know that. And she got pregnant. And, and, and Rebecca, the story goes, felt her stomach rumbling. And she asked God, she said, Lord, what's going on? And God said, there are two nations in your womb, Jacob and Esau, and they're fighting against each other. And they are twins, and the elder shall serve the younger, which is pretty unusual. So Jacob became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, and Esau became the father of the Arab nations. And Jacob and Esau were at war in Rebekah's womb, and Jacob and Esau are at war today. Isn't that interesting? So God went out of the natural order. To choose, here's the operative word, listen closely, to choose Jacob, the second born, to receive the blessing. God chose, God elected Jacob over Esau. 
Now, Romans chapter 9, verse 10 through 13 reads this. Not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, note this, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to what saints? Election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger as it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. In other words, God loved and chose Jacob before Jacob could do any good or evil. So what we are talking about here is a very important doctrine of Scripture. Listen to me. The doctrine of election. The doctrine of election. God chose Jacob before he elected Jacob to receive the blessing before Jacob could do anything good or evil. Well, that teaches us right off the bat that Jacob didn't deserve the blessings. God elected him to have them. The doctrine of election. Now, there are a lot of people who have a problem with this verse. They have a problem with Jacob I have loved, Esau have I hated. And they say, you know, I got a problem with the Lord hating Esau. Well, well, I have a problem too, personally. I have a problem too, because my problem isn't the Lord hating Esau. My problem is the Lord loving Jacob. If you know the story, you know what that means. God said, I love Jacob. Don't you know the Bible said Jacob was the, the, the heel catcher or, or the heel, heel snatcher, something like that. He was a heel snatcher. The Bible says Jacob was a conniver. Jacob was a little con man. See, that's why I got a problem with God loved Jacob. That's where my problem is. Jacob was a con man. And you know the story. He wrestled with the angel and his name was changed from Yaakov, Jacob, to Israel, which means what? Governed by God. You see, but the truth is, every single one of us deserves to be rejected. So why I have a problem with God loved Jacob is that we all deserve to be rejected. In some way, we are all little con men. I didn't think I'd get too many amens there. Uh, But we are. In some way, we're all not good. And so my problem is God elected anyone. I mean, when you think about it, God elected Jacob. You know, someone once wrote this, talking about the doctrine of election. Someone once said this, the doctrine of election is so deep and rich that if you try and explain it, you may lose your mind. But if you try to explain it away, you'll lose your heart. And that's very, very true. The truth be told is I marvel that that I'm elected. I marvel that that I'm chosen. D.L. Moody said that, I'm sure glad God chose me before I was born because I don't think he would have chose me after I'd done some living. (laughs) That's true. It's all grace. Amen. It it really is all grace. You know, I heard this story of a young black kid in Memphis, and I've told you this story before, of a young black kid in Memphis, Tennessee, who wanted to join a conservative fundamental church. And the elders asked him, well, how did you get saved? He answered, I did my part and God did his part. Well, the elders thought they had him. And so they asked him, what was your part and what was his part? 
Well, the boy replied, well, my part was sinning. I ran from God as fast as these little rebellious legs would take me, and my sinful heart would lead me. I ran from him. But you know, he done took out after me till he done run me down. <laughs> I love that. Election. See, this, this, this boy, this little black kid in Tennessee, he understood a very, very deep theological doctrine of Scripture. Grace. Amen. Election choosing. And people want to argue about whether, you know, God chooses some and God, you know, people get, uh, here's a couple things. People get upset and angry about God choosing. I don't have a problem with God choosing. And I don't know why people get upset with God choosing because it's an interesting thing is that we get to choose. Look, what if somebody chose your wife? You may not like that. You get to choose your wife. You get the, 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 the privilege of choice, but God doesn't. People want to argue choosing and election, and, and I say God is God, and God can choose whomever he wants. And because God knows the end from the beginning, God chooses based on his foreknowledge. God chooses based on his foreknowledge. Well, then how do I know if I'm chosen? How do I know if I'm elected to be saved or not? Well, then I say to them, would you like to be saved? No. Well, then you're not elected. <laughs> it's not that difficult, people. It really isn't. Well, would you like to be saved? Yeah. Okay, well, let's pray right now. Good. All right, right. You've been elected. Amen. You know, was it that simple? I think so. I mean, people want to spend a whole lot of time arguing about it. The fact is, the Bible says, whosoever will, let them come. So if you want to be saved, you're elected. If you don't want to be saved, then you prove you're not elected. And don't get mad at God about that. So God said, I hated Esau, who is also called Edom, as the text we just read. And God is going to lay waste, destroy his mountains and his heritage. In other words, they will not survive as a nation. Now look at verse six. A son honors his father. And a servant, his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, then where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? See how religious folks are. God says, you know, you despise my name. I'm a father. You don't honor me. And I'm going to be a master. Honors his servant. You don't honor me. Oh, really? Well, in what way have we despised your name? Well, God says, hey, in verse 7, I'll tell you. You offer defiled food on my altar. But you say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor. In other words, repent that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Now stop right there. God says a son honors his father and a servant honors the master, but you don't show me the respect of a father or a master. You see, God's heart is broken here. God's heart is broken. Let me share something with you. You know, when a believer sins, he breaks God's law, or a non-believer, pardon me, sins, 
he breaks God's law. But when a believer sins, he breaks God's law and he breaks God's heart when a believer sins. So God says, listen, you guys are blessed. You're back in the temple, you're back in the land, and now you're apathetical and lazy. God says, even an earthly father receives honor from his son, and a servant gives honor to his master. Where is my honor? Where is my reverence from the priest? And instead of repenting, they say, in what way have we despised your name? And in verse 7 through the rest of the chapter, as I mentioned, God tells them exactly how. God says they were defiling the temple of the Lord. You see, the people were bringing their sacrifices to the temple. They were bringing the sacrifices of bulls, and they were bringing the sacrifices of lambs and of rams. The only problem is the sacrifice that they were bringing to God was roadkill. These sacrifices that they were bringing to God, the bulls, the lambs, and the rams, they were limping and lame and blind and stolen and blemished. They were offering God the leftovers. You know, they would say, you know, well, you know, old Betsy's dying. Let's take her down to the temple and offer her to the Lord. You see, this was their mentality. And God says, look, your governor wouldn't even accept that offering. In other words, it's contemptible to give God second best. It is contemptible to give God the leftovers. And unfortunately... Folks do that at church, unfortunately. I mean, I've seen it happen in my 10 years of ministry here at Calvary Chapel. I've seen it happen. People buying a new car because this one is broke down, and they say, you know, well, what will we do with the broke down piece of junk? I know. Let's give it to the church. This is what people do. Well, they're buying a new couch because the cat tore up the old one and urinated all over the old one. Ooh, gross. They go, well, what will we do with this old beat up, torn up couch? Well, I know. Let's give it to the church. People clean out their garage. I get you not. People clean out their garage. What will we do with the junk that we don't want? I know. Let's give it to the church. It's like, wait a minute now. Listen, can, can I share something with you? Promise to tell everybody, all right? <laughs> Listen, God, I, I, you know what? I, I try to figure out how to best say this, and there's just no other way to say it, okay? There's no other way. God does not want your junk. Amen. Now, I labored all day over that one. God does not want your junk. God wants your best. Amen, saints? Amen. You know, we'll get to chapter three in just a couple of months. And, uh, (laughs) but in chapter three, you know, God wants your best. He wants your life. And when we get to chapter three, we're going to be talking about tithing. And and, and we want to talk about, we want to know that, that God does want our best. He wants your life. First of all, God wants your heart. God is more interested, I'm going to say this now and say it again when we get to chapter 3, God is more interested in your life than he is in your wallet. And the principles haven't changed. The offerings that God wanted then is the same that he wants today. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. 
And to listen is better than the fatted ram. God wants your heart. And what happens is if God can have your heart, then certainly God can have your wallet. But sometimes, more often than not, people try to give God their wallet and try to hold on to their life. They try to hold on. They try to give God. Some people, it's very easy for them to write 50 bucks, 100 bucks to God or to write whatever check that they want. A lot of people do that in church, by the way, guys. A lot of people do that in church. They can write God whatever check they want to write and drop it in the box and it's not a problem. But they hold on to their life. They hold on to their heart. In other words, God, you can have my money, but you can't have my heart. God says, you keep your money if I can't have your heart. Now, I realize that this is not a message that is very, very popular in the church today. Because more often people are after your wallet than they are your heart. But I want you to know that God is more interested in your heart. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at one 800 293 0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.